Welcome back. I'm Shelby. And I'm Renee. And you're listening to The Creepy Burrito. segment I like to refer to as Behind the Horror, where we look at the real-life inspirations for the horror films that left us feeling uneasy and always hungry for more. But first, we're gonna shout out some of them sweet-ass reviews that people left us, starting off with Kayla. She said, 10 out of 10, so much sauce to get lost in. Hell yeah, Kayla! We have tons of sauce to get lost in. And we're going to bring you more sauce. So, cover your little burrito self in that sauce. It's so good. Our next review is from Jenna. She says, These two girls took my podcast virginity. And they keep me coming back for more. Wednesday is my second favorite day of the week. Well, me too, Jenna. Me too. So if you want to be shout out like these two awesome ladies, leave us some sweet ass reviews. You can do so on Facebook or even better on iTunes. Fucking rate us on whatever your streaming device is. If you can figure it out, because we can't. (laughs) It depends on the streaming device. Who knows? But uh, yeah, if you want people to uh, listen to our creepy shit too, and join the burrito family. Oh, is that is that our name now? <laughs> We're the family of burritos. Hell yeah. Then uh yeah. Can we be the burrito army? Burrito army? Army of burritos. Um maybe. Wait, what is <laughs> Yeah. Beyonce has the beehive, we can be the burrito hive. <laughs> um I think and I think you missed the point of why it's the beehive. <laughs> Because it's a beehive. Are you telling me there's not hives of wild burritos in the actual (laughs) nature? Dude, I wish I could find a hive of burritos. Then you just eat it like a bear. What is a group of burritos called? (laughs) Burrito. So, today's topic, I figured, tis the season. Summer is all about relaxation, vacations, soaking in the sun, swimming at the beach. But are you really alone in open waters? Is there someone watching? Or should I say, something? Spoiler alert, it's me. (laughs) Renee (laughs) swims through the open waters like a fucking beast. Just thrashing and crashing. That literally was me when we went scuba diving. Because I can't can't swim underwater. Oh no. Just thrashing on the top. She's a beast that is struggling to survive on top of water. Coming at you at very slow speeds, but she will maybe get you. Maybe. (laughs) Okay, well, enough talking about Renee's uh, swimming (laughs) skills that aren't there. Um, Maybe floating skills? Question mark? I'm all right with that. But anyways, so if you didn't guess it, today we are sinking our teeth into Jaws. 
<laughs> it was beautiful. Thanks. Was there any truth to the ferocious man-eating machine? In case you live under a rock, I'll give you a brief synopsis. Jaws is considered to be one of the greatest films ever made, directed by a Mr. Steven Spielberg. It's not only the story of how Bruce, a friendly 25-foot great white shark in a midi island, he was a uh, hungry as fuck, I guess you could say, and decided to eat the first thing he saw, which just so happened to be some humans. The mayor is like chill with it, as long as it doesn't stop tourists from coming into the beaches for the summer. You know, you gotta keep that revenue going. Mm -hmm. Well, until a kid gets eaten in broad daylight. And then police chief Martin Brody, oceanographer Matt Hooper, and professional shark hunter Quint go on a boyish adventure to murder Bruce in cold blood. In the end, Chief Brody feeds hungry old Bruce with a scuba tank and despite being aboard a sinking ship, shoots the tank, leading to Bruce's brutal demise. The movie Jaws was based on Peter Benchley's novel that was also called Jaws. The author of the book had a lifelong fascination with sharks, and since he frequently encountered them while fishing with his father in Nantucket, Peter had stated that the event that sparked the idea for his novel was, quotations, here we go, <laughs> who knows what accent I will do. In 1964, I read an item in a newspaper about how a fisherman who harpooned a 4,500-pound great white shark of Long Island. I remember thinking at the time, Lord! What would happen? <laughs> Stop. Sorry. <laughs> what would happen if one of those monsters came into a resort community and wouldn't go away? I tucked them into my wallet and, for the time being, forgot about it. This fisherman was named Frank Mundus. He was a shark hunter in Montauk, New York, and he would kill whales for chum and humpoon sharks. sharks. <laughs> He was a big personality in the world of monster fishing, and his signature traits besides his trophy pictures included, he would wear a, a hoop earring, Australian slouch hat, and a shark tooth necklace. And he would paint his big toenails red and green for port and starboard. Mini fun fact, this is because the green light is on the starboard side, which is the right side of a ship, and then red is port or left. So. If you see both of them, it's a good chance that you're, like, looking nose down, like, at the boat, like, head on. Okay. Do you get it? Yeah. But, yeah, it was just a cute little mini fun fact. Oh. There you go. Nice. Port, starboard. Boat talk. Painted Hell toenails. yeah. Painted toenails. Hell yeah. <laughs> Treat yourself. <laughs> it was speculated by many that Frank is the inspiration for the character Quint in Jaws, the book, and the movie. The author, Peter, denied these claims, but... There were rumors that Peter had privately admitted Frank was the inspiration for Quint, but this was publicly denied for legal reasons. Why would people think that he influenced this character? Number one, Frank had gone fishing with Peter prior to writing Jaws. Number two, the location, the fictional Amity Island that's in Jaws is described as in between Bridgehampton, New York and East Hampton, New York, which would be the Montauk area. And Quint kept his boat at a place called Promised Land and Frank's boat was docked at the fish factory called Promised Land. Number four, they both hated two-way radios, as you can see in the movie mm -hmm. if you remember that. So let's take a look and see what Frank's thoughts were on the movie Jaws. What he had said, and I quote, 
It was the funniest and stupidest movie I have ever seen because too many stupid things happen in it. For instance, no shark can pull a boat backwards at a fast speed with a light line and stern cleats that are only held by two bolts. And I've never boiled shark jaws. If you do, you'll end up with a bunch of teeth at the bottom of your bucket because the jaw cartilage will melt. So this just basically states he's a bad bitch <laughs> that loves to hunt sharks down. Right. And would never boil down a jaw. Never. And then also in the interview, um, they had asked him, is it true that the shark hunter Quint in Jaws is based on you? And in what ways does he resemble you? He had stated, yeah, he was. He knew how to handle the people the same way I did. He also used similar shark fishing techniques based on my methods. The only difference was I used handheld harpoons after field testing harpoon guns and discovering that they didn't work. The dart would pull after hitting the fish. Also, just showing this man is a fucking pro he's a bad <laughs> big monster fishing and i i do just want to point out that in his later years frank he did kind of turn onto a new leaf he became a shark conservationist and regretted some of the photos and tactics used and uh promoted catch and release fishing mm. later on he did not start out that way he was yeah. pretty uh eccentric and took pretty uh pretty ballsy photos but Besides the entire character basis of Quint, was there another sinister part of his history that was based on real life events? Ooh. Was there? (laughs) There sure was. I'm gonna play you a snippet here. Right here? Right here. Okay. You on the Indianapolis? What happened? Japanese submarine slammed two torpedoes into our side chief. He was coming back. The island of Tinian Delady just delivered the bomb, the Hiroshima bomb. Eleven hundred men went into the water. The vessel went down in twelve minutes. Didn't see the first shark for about half an hour. Tiger, thirteen footer. You know, you know that when you're in the water, chief. You tell by looking from the dorsal to the tail. Well, we didn't know. But our bomb mission had been so secret. No distress signal had been sent. <laughs> they didn't even list us overdue for a week. Very first light, Chief. Sharks come cruising. So we formed ourselves into tight groups. You know, it's <laughs> like old squares in a battle, like you see in a calendar, like the Battle of Waterloo, and the idea was, shark comes to the nearest man, that man, he start pounding and hollering and screaming, sometimes the shark would go away. Sometimes he wouldn't go away. Sometimes that shark, he looks right into you, right into your eyes. You know the thing about a shark, he's got lifeless eyes, black eyes, like a doll's eye. When he comes at you, he doesn't seem to be living until he bites you. And those black eyes roll over white, and then... Oh, then you hear that terrible high-pitched screaming. The ocean turns red, and in spite of all the pounding and the hollering, they all come in and they rip you to pieces. You know, by the end of that first dawn, Lost a hundred men. 
I don't know how many sharks. Maybe a thousand. I don't know how many men. The average six an hour. On Thursday morning, Chief, I bumped into a friend of mine, Herbie Robinson from Cleveland. Baseball player. Bosom's mate. I thought he was asleep. Reached over to wake him up. Bobbed up and down in the water. It was like a kind of top. Upended. Well, he'd been bitten in half below the waist. Noon the fifth day, Mr. Hooper, Lockheed Ventura saw us. He swung in low and he saw us too. A young pilot, a lot younger than Mr. Hooper anyway. He saw us and he come in low. And three hours later, a big fat PBY comes down and starts to pick us up. You know, that was the time I was most frightened, waiting for my turn. I'll never put on a life jacket again. So, 1,100 men went in the war. 316 men come out. The sharks took the rest June the 29th, 1945. Anyway, we delivered the bomb. This was not just some tale told by a drunkard. It was the gruesome facts of the deadliest shark attack in history. During World War II, the USS Indianapolis did, in fact, get sent on a secret mission. Their mission was to transport enriched uranium and other parts needed to assemble the first atomic bomb that was dropped just a few weeks later on Hiroshima to a naval base on the Pacific island of Tinian. It wasn't necessarily the bomb itself that they had insinuated in the movie, but fun fact, the code name for this atomic bomb was called Little Boy. <laughs> And all I can think of when I hear that name, like, I, I just immediately go to Always Sunny in Philadelphia, where it's like the night man cometh. It's like, tiny boy, little boy, baby boy, I need you. Tiny boy, little boy, I want to touch you, boy. Yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, but now I have the berries and cream, berries oh, and cream. No. I'm a little boy who loves berries, berries and, and cream. cream. <laughs> But uh, enough said on my mini tangent. Uh, back to, like, sharks and war and shit. The Indianapolis, so they did successfully deliver the bomb, like, bomb goodies. Then they had departed to Guam for a crew turnover, and since some had completed their tour, were relieved by other sailors, so, like, switching out uh, at port. On July 28th, the USS Indianapolis, still sailing unaccompanied at the time since they were, like, incognito on the secret mission, mm-hmm. Uh, They were heading towards the Philippines to prepare for the invasion on Japan. And on July 30th, just 15 minutes after midnight, they were hit on their starboard side by two Type 95 torpedoes, which was considered to be the most destructive and fastest torpedoes the Japanese Imperial Navy had to offer in World War II. These torpedoes, they were fired by the Japanese B-3 type cruiser submarine I-58, and this was uh, commanded by, and I, I'm gonna butcher this, Mochisura Hashimoto, that had put the order to shoot six torpedoes, first one hitting the bow and the second hitting amidships, so double whammy for igniting the fuel tank. Indianapolis was top-heavy due to the armament that was added for the war efforts, causing her to roll completely over and went face down, ass up. <laughs> so, as Quint had said in his speech, It only took 12 minutes after being hit to completely sink, taking 300 of the 1,195 crewmen 
with her to her watery grave. And it only gets better from there. There were a few lifeboats and many without life jackets. The remaining 900 crewmen were stranded in open ocean for about four days. So what can happen in those four days? Well, for starters, a lot of the men had fuel in their eyes, making it not only as uncomfortable as fuck, but they also couldn't see. Based on survivor accounts, the waters and waves, they were calm for the most part, just waiting in their life jackets, floating, waiting, time passing. All suffered from lack of food, starving, and some were lucky enough to find scraps of food amongst the debris to get by. Dehydration from the sun during the day, followed by hypothermia at night, skin peeling from soaking in salt water, in addition to the physical pain and suffering, is the impact to their mental health. So that would be delirium, hallucinations, or psychosis. Survivors would recollect from a member swimming over, saying how they just ate and how they weren't even thirsty anymore, and then they would start drinking salt water. So they were, like, obviously hallucinating because... You haven't eaten shit. Yeah, you can't drink salt water. And some even got to the point where they had taken their own lives. Survivor Granville Crane later said, In fact, a lot of them had weapons like knives, and they'd be so crazy that they'd be fighting amongst themselves and killing one another. And then there'd be others that drank so much salt water that they were seeing things. They'd say, The India's down below, and they're giving out fresh food and water in the galley. And then they would swim down and a shark would get them and you could see the sharks eating your comrade. Holy shit. Yep. Yep. Wow. So they either got eaten. Um, there was a couple different things I saw about like taking their own lives because I wasn't sure about that. Like, how are you doing that? Right. Um, well, some of them still had like weapons from when they were on the ship gotcha. and they would take their own lives. Others would just like give up and just yeah drown. Because like you're sitting there and like if you're not like waning water or if you're not like floating you could just take the life drown. jacket off and mm-hmm. just that's what they said they you would just take off your life jacket and yeah yep wow and then some had experienced an even worse fate when the shiver of sharks came the loud noise thrashing and bloody waters drew in sharks from near and far as soon as the morning after the uss indianapolis went down that's when they had seen the first shark encounters with sharks as long as 15 feet long The good news for the sailors, not injured, is that there was plenty of dead men for the sharks to eat. Your your fellow sailors floating, bobbing around you that they could feed on. Even if you were alive, the sharks, they would bump into you to check you out to see. If you were still alive. Yeah. That's terrifying. Yeah. So just imagine that. You're here in bumfuck nowhere, just floating along. You get booty bounced by a shark. mm Mm-hmm. Those still alive would try to stick together in packs for protection, but would still slowly be picked off from the group. One survivor stated that they would finish off three to four new people a night. Holy shit. Mm -hmm. According to reports, there were hundreds of sharks either feeding or waiting around the area to feed. They would do this in the morning, and then they would come back around and start feeding at night again. Oh, wow. With each kill, the waters would turn red, summoning more sharks to the wreckage, making this the deadliest shark attack in history. The 316 survivors were finally rescued on August 2nd. 
If you do want a good book on this subject, uh, there's a book called In Harm's Way by Doug Stanton. It includes details and like interviews from the survivors, as well as the details of Captain Charles B. McVeigh III, who was the first and only in U.S. naval history to be court-martialed for the loss of his ship, failing to maneuver the ship in a zigzag to avoid torpedoes. McVeigh was exonerated in 2000 after he had already shot himself with his own Navy revolver in 1968. So the book is like pretty interesting because many aspects of the court-martial were controversial. One example of it, why did it take so long for the rescue response? True. Four fucking days. Like your your ship is just out there and no one says shit. So In the first statement, the Navy had said that the distress calls were never received, but later there were declassified records that show that was not the case. There were at least three SOS messages that were received, but were never answered. The first one, the commander was drunk that had gotten the message, so he didn't do anything with it, uh, and he didn't want to be turned in for drinking on duty. The second had ordered his men not to disturb him, so they didn't. Wow. Because mm-hmm. cool. this happened at midnight and like he already went to bed, went to bed yeah. and told them not to fucking bug him. And then the third was thought to be false, like a Japanese trap. The USS Indianapolis wasn't the only shark-eating frenzy from the past. Jaws also alluded to the 1960 Jersey Shore attacks. In Jaws, when Brody, who is the chief of police, urges the mayor to close the beaches, stating... And there's no limit to what he's going to do. I mean, we've already had three incidents and two people killed inside a week. And it's going to happen again. It happened before. The Jersey Beach, 1916. Five people chewed up on the surf. Wow. I don't know what accent this is. But it's mine. It's intense. (laughs) The Jersey Shire attacks of 1916 occurred between July 1st and July 12th. Four people were killed and one person was injured. The first attack on Saturday, July 1st at Beach Haven on Long Beach Island was Charles Van Zant. He was 23 and had left Philadelphia for vacation at the Ingleside Hotel with his family. He decided to take a quick swim before dinner that night and shortly after entering the water, had began screaming. A shark had sunk its teeth into his legs. A lifeguard came out and pulled Charles's bleeding body from the water and his left thigh had the flesh completely ripped off of it. Oh my god. They were able to get him to the Ingleside Hotel where he had bled to death on the manager's desk. Yeah. And much like in Jaws, despite the attack, they decided to keep the beaches open. On Thursday, July 6th, in Spring Lake, New Jersey, Charles Bruder, a 27-year-old bellboy at a local hotel, was swimming about 130 yards, which is kind of like... What, a football field and a half? Yeah. When he was attacked, a shark had bit him in the abdomen and then severed his legs. After hearing the screams, a woman flagged down the lifeguards and said that a canoe with a red hull was capsized and floating on the water. A canoe? That's what she thought, yeah. She thought it was like a canoe that would just had a red hull and like people were screaming because they had fell in. But no, it's just his his body body. just floating on top of the water. Uh, And he was still alive at the point that the lifeguards got out there with their lifeboat. They brought him on and then tried to bring him to shore, but he had, he bled bled out out in the lifeboat on their way back to shore. And this attack, it was only about 45 miles away from the first attack. On Wednesday, July 12th, in Matawan, Matawan resembled more of like a Midwestern town rather than like a Atlantic beach resort. Because these first two places, they were like resort Beachy. areas. Yeah, that people would go out to on like vacationing. 
Matawan is more of like a Midwestern town, making it unlikely for shark sightings. Thomas Cottrell was one of the residents that just so happened to also be a sea captain. He had spotted an eight foot long shark in a creek and tried to tell people no one believed him until later that afternoon, some of the local boys were playing in a creek together in what was known as Wyckoff Dock. And if you look at the word (laughs) Wyckoff Dock, it looks like whack off. Yeah. So I may say whack off. It does. Because I want to. (laughs) The boys came across what appeared to be an old black leather beaten board or like a a weathered log until they had noticed that it had a dorsal fin. Oh. Hmm. They realized it was a shark and then that oh shit factor set in. And one of the boys was not quick enough. Lester Stilwell, an 11-year-old boy, was pulled underwater by the shark. Oh, God. The other boys ran into town for help to bring back some grown-ups to, like, actually help with the problem, uh, since they were a whole bunch of kids just kind of, like, playing around in the water. And so whenever they were actually able to get help, they quickly dived into the creek to find Lester, which they did. And one of those helpers was 24-year-old Watson Fisher. And he was attacked in the process. Something's got to be bad because you said his name and and his age. Something happened. Yeah. So he was just a local businessman trying to help, but had died in the process. He bled to death on the way to the hospital. And he was the one that uh, found Lester's body and was trying to bring him ashore. And I think that's kind of like what led to his demise because the blood. Obviously bleeding. Yeah. Um, so they did lose Lester's body in the process when he was trying to bring it to shore and then he was attacked. Uh, so they did actually find Lester's body two days later, uh, when it was discovered 250 feet upstream. Moving on to the fifth and final victim was 14-year-old Joseph Dunn. He was attacked a half mile from Wyckoff Dock just 30 minutes after the fatal attacks on Lester and Watson. The shark had a hold on Joseph's leg. And his brother and friend had to straight up like tug of war with the shark to get Joseph free from its clutch. Joseph Dunn was taken to the hospital and was luckily able to recover. So he was the only survivor of these attacks in 1960. All the Jersey shore attacks. Wow. Mm-hmm. Sure was. Now, even though Jaws author Peter Benchley was aware of these attacks and had mentioned them in the book and the movie, he did state that it was not the main inspiration behind Jaws. But many feel that the attacks were the inspiration at some level, whether it was a conscious decision or like subconscious because of the similarities. Much like the movie, there was a growing panic that had followed these attacks. So there was shark hunting parties with rifles, dynamite, and armed motorboats patrolling the waters to hunt down these sharks. On July 14th, taxidermist and lion tamer Michael Schleser had caught a seven and a half foot, 250 pound shark while fishing in a bay that was only a few miles from the mouth of the Matawan Creek. The shark nearly sank the boat before he had killed it with a broken oar. When he had opened the shark, what did he find? It was a suspicious fleshy material and bones that filled about two thirds of a milk crate and weighed about 15 pounds. The shark was identified as a great white and adjusted the remains of a human. Michael had the shark mounted and placed on display in the front window of a Manhattan shop on Broadway, and no further attacks were reported alongside the Jersey Shore in the summer of 1916 after the capture of Schleser's Great White Shark. They had declared this Great White to be the Jersey Man-Eater. So that shark was probably the shark that... No. 
There are theories okay. that the shark was not responsible for the attacks. There was a museum expert who studied the bones from the shark and believed that they had come from a body that had been dead for some time before it was ingested, suggesting that the shark had fed on an already dead body of someone who had likely drowned, while others believed that the shark was actually a bull shark, not a great white. So bull sharks, they're, they're much more likely to venture into freshwater rivers and creeks, while great whites usually only stick to the ocean. Bull sharks have the unique ability to function in salt and fresh waters. Plus, bull sharks are, like, super fucking aggressive, too. Mm-hmm. Yep. Another theory, before the, they knew that these attacks were sharks, and I, I just want to mention this because it's funny as shit to me, they thought that it was sea turtles. <laughs> like, a sea of sea turtles. Like, a, a not a sea of sea turtles. A group. A s- fucking... <laughs> uh, a school of uh, sea turtles, but... um. Things about that, that this was not real. Because turtles don't travel in, like, a school, like, together like that. And also, they don't bite humans. And if they did, it couldn't be that severe. I'm pretty sure a sea turtle can't take off a grown man's fucking both legs. It It was before they knew that it was shark attacks, but I still just thought it was a funny thought. Like, just seeing a little turtle, like... Well, like, who the fuck is that idiotic to be like, well, what could have caused this? Definitely sea turtles, sir. <laughs> Definitely sea turtles. It was not the turtles dunt it. <laughs> so that's just some of the real life events and people that changed shark culture and what has left people terrified today. Jaws set the stage and installed fear into the hearts of many. Without Jaws, there would be no Shark Week, no Sharknado. The movie Meg, 47 meters down, or a gem of a movie that I just so happened upon while doing research for this episode. It's called Jersey Shore Shark Attack. Such a badly cheesy made horror movie where it's Jersey Shore characters like, you can stay and get your ass beat, you can stay and get your ass beat, or you can stay and get your ass beat type of fucking Jersey Shore gems that you love. Mixed with Jaws. It's pretty ridiculous. And I need to find and watch the full movie. (laughs) If there's anything I love more than horror movies, like good horror movies, it's a bad horror movie. (gasps) So good. Oh, I love it. Like Killer Clowns from Outer Space. The best. Mm, Trolls, uh, what is it? Trolls 2? Three? It was one of them. One of them was so awkwardly bad. I think it was Trolls 2. Two. Okay. Trolls 2. Killer Clowns from Outer Space is hilarious. Prime. It's so funny. It's on Netflix again, I think. Netflix. I, I think it. it is. Well, my uh, my Netflix like populates bad horror movies because it knows that I'm garbage <laughs> and I love them. So those are some of our bad movie recommendations. Watch them. Love it. It's so good. It's like Mystery Theater 3000. I love Mystery Theater. I fucking love it. But yeah, how did that leave you feeling? Do you like these uh, stories behind the horror? Hopefully you do, because more are coming. Because <laughs> I'm going to keep doing them, because I love it. It's and a passion. It's a segment. <laughs> it's a segment. It's my segment. It's what I love. It's me. If you don't like it, then you don't like me. But if you do like us, rate us a sweet-ass review on that. Facebook. Fucking A-plus segue, <laughs> Shelby. Read us on your streaming app. Leave us a, a sweet-ass review on that iTunes 
so that other people can uh, be part of the burrito uh, family or whatever you want us to call this. Burrito hive. It's not a burrito hive. Check out our Instagram, Facebook, Twitter at the Creepy Burrito. We'll be sharing cool shit like photos and videos. And you can share your thoughts there too. Hell yeah. It's a place of love and friendship. Love and friendship. Comfort. Mm, and memes. And memes. <laughs> Mostly memes. Hit us up at thecreepyburrito at gmail.com. And on that note. Bye bye now. Bye. Bye. This is the USS uh, Indianapolis beach. Bunch of kids go into the water. Only 350 kids come out. <laughs> More kids than the world. <laughs> you do the math. What had happened in there? Were they, <laughs> were they gremlin children? Tune in next week on the Creepy Burrito to find out. <laughs>